0: Well, yeah, I'll buy that. What about him? Him? Yeah, he's harmless.
1: Back in the '60s, he was part of the free speech movement at Berkeley. I
0: think he did a little too much LDS. LDS. This is infants on thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the core.
1: Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostlund, and this is episode 571, From LDS to LSD, Consciousness, Psychedelics, and the Meaning of Life with Micah Nicolaiasson. It's a long title. And you know what? Come to think about it, I don't think we even talk about LSD at all in this episode, but you know, LDS, LSD, the Star Trek thing, whatever. We talk about a bunch of stuff, in this informal continuation of the even more informal series on the meaning of life. And let's just get right to it right now. Here we go. Hi, Micah. So I I sent you the link to that meaning of life episode that uh, I recorded with Matt and Colton and uh, uh,
0: Brad. (laughs) He was my mission companion, Brad. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, did you listen to the full thing or did you just listen to the intro? I think I, I think I caught like the first like 20, 30 minutes of it. So, so you heard part of the conversation. Yeah.
1: So you heard the email from the listener that we were responding to that was, you know, he he's, was saying, look, I left the church a couple of years ago, but I'm still kind of looking for something and I've had a hard life and I've been thinking about the meaning of life. I'd like to hear you guys talk about it basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm
1: so that's that's kind of the inspiration for this whole thing that i I thought would be kind of a cool series so the, i I've recorded one with Brady bloom um I'm recording another one tomorrow i've got I, so th- there there'll be a bunch of like meaning of life episodes um eventually so this one will be the Meaning of Life with uh Micah nison yeah
0: well I don't know <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> Let's do dude, that.
1: Don't, 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 uh, don't short sell yourself. All right. I know you love having these kinds of conversations. And the last time you were on Infants on Thrones was the episode where we had uh, Bryce Blakenagel and, and we were talking about Joseph Smith and entheogens. If mm-hmm. I, if I remember right, I think that was the last one that you were on.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah. I think that was the last one I did with you guys. Yeah, That was and, a while ago. It was a while. Yeah, it was it was uh a year ago, I think
1: October or September. So yeah, it's it's been well over a year. But um you 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 had some admissions and some acknowledgments in that episode about um medicinal spiritual practices. And if those haven't contributed to your sense of uh meaning of life, I'll be very, very surprised.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, your suspicions may be correct a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I so, think, so uh, how, how about how about we just start kind of like the whole background, you know, introduce yourself to listeners who may not um, have once upon a time been members of the Mike and Nicolaias and Thoughtful Faith fan club, although I'm pretty sure most everybody was.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I think most people these days have no idea who I am and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think if anybody recognizes who I am, it's probably from when I used to podcast for open stories. I was the original host of the thoughtful faith podcast from like, I only did it for for a year. So I think it was like summer of 2012 to the spring of 2013. You know,
1: 2012 still doesn't seem like it was that long ago to me, but I'm like, yeah, that was like seven years ago. Yeah. It's a while back. Crazy.
0: It is weird (laughs) to realize that. Um, but then, um, and then probably the only other thing is the, um, any opposed, uh, demonstration. Oh, you did that with Scott, right? 2015. Uh, yeah, with Scott. And,
1: and so who was the other I, guy that did that with you? Don, Don, Don Brager. Don
0: Brager. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah, we were the assholes that trolled the Mormon church in conference. Oh, that's right. We can't say Mormon church anymore. Huh? Okay. No, we can.
1: Well, actually, no, you're right. they, they, they have, they have decided that they want to be known as the ex-Mormon church.
0: <laughs> the church, formerly known as the Mormon Church, right? Yes,
1: yeah, the ex-Mormons—that's what it says on the like silly commercials now.
0: The ex-Mormons. <laughs> oh, Russ Nelson, yeah, Billy Rascal, find some real stuff to worry about.
1: <laughs> so, where, where, like, if I if I remember right, when you started a thoughtful faith, it was kind of like you wanted you wanted to stay in you were like very new order Mormon find the value in things. Um, and, and then, it, and then at one point you were, you were pushing people to insist that their stake presidents hold a disciplinary <laughs> council, <Yeah. laughs> um, while also just resigning or something like that. I remember there were like
0: some, yeah, going that was on. a weird year, whatever year that was. I think that was, uh, was that 2014? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. No, it was it was all... I think. Were you all, not doing thoughtful faith when that was going on? No. Well, <clears throat> so what happened was, it's not that I was just like a New Order Mormon, like, oh, I can find things that I like about this. I was still a believer. And that's mm. really what kept me in, is that I believed it, you yeah. know? Um well, New Order Mormons are believers, right? Not always. Okay. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know. You can be a non-believer, like non-person, right? Mm. I, don't I know. Who cares? Um, But uh, so once I stopped believing, I stopped doing the podcast because I stopped podcasting that perspective just because, you know, I couldn't really, I mean, I understood it and I think it's valuable, but once I stopped believing, then, you know, I stopped going to church and, um, you know, I really kind of, you know, dove past, you know, Christianity went and was identified as like an atheist for for a good little while um and then i think shortly after that yeah i i me and my friend uh jake abhow um started that strangers in zion project where it was right after john DeLynn and kate kelly got excommunicated and yeah yeah it was the message was hey if you're gonna excommunicate these kind of people for these right yeah. You should just kind of get rid of all of us. Like mm-hmm. if you're going to excommunicate John DeLynn and Kate Gall- Kelly, you should, you should excommunicate me and and all Mormons like us. <laughs> and so, yeah, we encouraged people to request a disciplinary council. But before that, um, I started um, organizing the annual mass resignation in Salt Lake for that year. You know, there's like one every year, right? <laughs> and so I organized it that year. But then after I started organizing that, um, Jake and I started that other project. So I was kind of doing both at the same time. And then I think it was the year after that, that was, uh, any opposed. And and this is also pre CES letter, right? Or I mean, CES was 2013. So, okay. I remember, I remember I was running the A thoughtful faith Facebook group when Jeremy Runnels was first kind of distributing the, you know, the original um, version of it. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember and he came and he posted it in a thoughtful faith and I started reading it and I was like, oh geez, this is like, this is like a testimony nuclear bomb. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I actually, I actually asked him to remove his post because of it. Because because it wasn't thoughtful or faithful enough. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't faith. It was very thoughtful, but uh, unfortunately not faithful enough. <laughs> um, not that I had an, I loved, I loved it, but, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, it just wasn't a good fit for that, but that's, that's my first memory of, um, the CES letter. <laughs> yeah. I, I ask
1: because it, you know, like when you, when you talk to people that left the church post CES letter, it seems to be kind of a different experience or, or maybe that's just me. I, I think of it as a different experience than, than pre CES letter, but it's kind of like a, a a watershed mark in the I think so, yeah. Post Mormon world, I,
0: yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah.
1: Um, now, now, um, when when you were insisting on uh, having disciplinary councils, did you actually have one?
0: Did Did you meet with yeah, the state
1: president and go yeah. through a disciplinary
0: council? Yeah, when I requested my disciplinary council, my state president, whom. I was very close with, you know, we were, we were pretty good friends and I had met with him many, many times over the years leading up to that point. And, um, he met with me and said, yeah, we were kind of going to do it anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, and so really? yeah, they held, yeah, my disciplinary council was eight hours long <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but they, they disfellowshipped me and they didn't excommunicate me. Wait, oh, I remember that. And
1: it was kind of like I remember my response to it was that was like the biggest F U that they could
0: have given. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they 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 knew it was the last thing that I wanted and that's what they gave me. Right. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so,
1: um, so so at that time, um like what what would you have said uh was the meaning of life for you when you were an active believing Mormon. What, what was the whole purpose of all of this living thing, living stuff?
0: To discover the program and follow the program. No, that's, that's not what you would have said then, right? Is sure. it? I mean, not in those words. That's like, uh, you know, this is,
1: that's like jaded, cynical ex-Mormon. Just
0: obey. So like believers well, don't I, ever really, I really, say like that, do they? I really believed in it very strongly and I measured myself. Based on how well I was following the program. Sure, it's a program. True. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I was playing the long game with everything. But
1: wasn't that just a means to an end? You know, like the obedience was a means to an end. It was a way to keep yourself safe and protected while you were here to accomplish what you were really supposed to accomplish. Which I'm, is,
0: to... I'm get not even talking about following orders. I'm talking about following, a, integrating yourself into a system of life. Um, I'm talking. All right, about, you're
1: gonna have to explain yeah, this to me that.
0: Well, the program is for, for me growing up was you go on a mission, you get home, you get married, you have kids, you have your career, you make lots of money and you serve in the church the rest of your life. And then the payoff is (laughs) that, yeah, you have safety, you have security, you have structure um, and you eventually get to become a God and have your own universe. So (laughs) I was, like I said, I was playing the long game. Um, and that's really what I derived most of my meaning and purpose from. So how has that shifted now? (laughs) It's, you know, asking me what the meaning of life is now is all I can say is, you know, I can tell you what I think today, you know, like, it's not like there's any kind of, um, conclusion that I've like settled on or anything like that. but and it's just been a really wild ride. I mean, like I said, I was, uh, you know, a liberal believer, then I was agnostic, then I was atheist, and then I discovered psychedelics and now I'm just nothing. Like I'm just, you know, I have lots of thoughts and ideas about what the meaning and purpose of life could be or, um, things like metaphysics, spirituality, um, but, you know, I don't, I'm not hanging my hat on anything anymore. <laughs> so certainty is kind of. Uh, yeah, certainty's out out the window. I mean, for the most part. And, and how certain are you of that? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, whatever, Clint. <Glenn. laughs> I know, no, no.
1: <laughs> I, I recently had this conversation with somebody. and They're like, I'm pretty certain that uh, I just don't put any certainty in anything anymore. And then I like caught myself and I went,
0: what the hell did I just say? You made, made Yeah. It is an absolute, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so what, so
1: you don't, you don't have a sense of like what life is all about, like where you, what, well, just, how you get fulfillment in life. What, oh, I know how I do. Yeah. Well, that's us <laughs> about do. that.
0: Okay. Well, you know, the thing that's just so, the thing that was crazy for me is is like i said my entire purpose and meaning was all mixed in with mormonism and and everything that came along with that like my marriage and you know the friends that i had and the community that i had like all that stuff is you know tangled up in that root system and so Um, just like your listener who emailed you, like I, (laughs) when I was listening to that, I was like, Oh, I remember those days (laughs) Mm -hmm. of just being rudderless on a stormy ocean of uncertainty. And it's, it's really hard because when you're kind of left with nothing, it's really hard to even find anything to anchor onto as a, (laughs) even just an intellectual, you know, pivot point to start developing You know, meaning and purpose, and so it's for me. There was just a lot of um, despair and um, you know, hopelessness, and eventually, for me, I just kind of got really nihilistic about everything and just said, "Well, I guess just there isn't any meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing to any of it. It's just all happening, and that's it." And um, and I still definitely feel that way. (laughs) <laughs> really? Oh, is you there, haven't gotten out of the nihilistic phase? I mean, I, no. I, I mean, I just, I think, nihilism, I just <laughs> think nihilism is, an, for me, nihilism is a very useful um, model to examine things. Not, my nihilism keeps my altruistic idealism in check, you know, because <laughs> okay. I'll get myself all worked up about something that I'm passionate about or a project or a goal. And then if there are problems or it doesn't happen or I fail, you know, at the end of the day, I can say, ah, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? And so I like certain aspects of nihilism. I like kind of hanging on to some of that, but you know, I was pretty much convinced that, well, I mean, that's the thing is like, (sighs) I'm still very much a materialist, but I just think there's more to a lot of it than, I originally realized and discovering that has, I can attribute a lot of that to, you know, the plant medicines and, you know, and the, the the plants are just a tool to get to um, transcendent mystical experiences. And that sounds really like, you know, kind of esoteric I think to at least most of the people I hang out with, but what what do you mean esoteric like just kind of ancient woo woo you know I think of like you know fake gurus and you know just quackery when I like so I don't have the the right words for it but our minds you know are labyrinthian in their complexity right Oh, great word. Labyrinthian. I love it. (laughs) That is a great word. I love that word. Yeah. Our minds are labyrinthian in complexity. Oh, I love it. And there's so many different layers and rooms. It's like a, it's like a house. There's all these different parts of it. It's like a mansion, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like this enormous structure that, you know, that we can, we can measure things about it. We can like, you know, put somebody in an fMRI machine and like see what parts of their brain light up and we can look at the brain on a microscopic level. We can understand how different neural receptors work, but this whole consciousness thing still is incredibly mysterious. And what, what I didn't realize is that, you know, the waking consciousness that I have always been told is reality um, definitely is, but that is, you know that's under the reality I'm seeing is under a, the skin or the lens of my of of one part of my consciousness. But there, inside your mind, there are places that you can go and experiences that you can have. And people can do that through Hindu yogic meditation. They can do it through mindfulness meditation. They can do it through um, athletics. They can do it through near death experiences. There are so many different paths to access these these very fascinating corners of our mind. Um, Have you read the book Stealing Fire? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it yet.
1: There's a, it, it's really, really good. And, it, and it, it, it talks about these states of mind. And I think the word that it, it uses for it is ecstasis, which is, you know, like a play on ecstasy. But this ecstatic state when, um, people do experience consciousness or they experience reality in a different way. And it starts off by talking about Navy SEALs and how Navy SEALs are trained. And I forget the exact number. It's this insane millions and millions of dollars that are invested in the training of Navy SEALs, but it's so that they can operate together as a group so that any one of them at any given time can become the leader. And they all just kind of like mm-hmm. shift immediately. And the, their efficiency is incredible because they're, it's like this mind meld situation that they're in one of the examples the book gives is the the lead guitarist for Maroon 5 who grew up Mormon, which I didn't know. And he he explained that when he gets into just the flow of playing the guitar – um, it was the same thing that he experienced as a Mormon when he would feel the Holy ghost and he would feel the spirit. And and that was kind of like one of the things that was a, a crack in his foundation. Like, Oh wait, there must, this, this thing that I've been told is the Holy ghost, the, the Holy, the whole time must be something else must be something different. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you'd like that book. It sounds like that's what you're describing this, this state of um, ecstasis. Um, yeah. At least the way yeah, that sounds right. I yeah. mean,
0: you know uh, and and for me psychedelics have kind of been um my way of 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 having those mystical experiences mm-hmm. and um you know these plants get categorized as hallucinogens which they technically are but and and i've you know people i've talked to about this to say oh i'm not interested in hallucinations and it's like that's really yeah. not the right word the right word is these are visions that that you have. <laughs> mm. Now, I don't know where all of this comes from. Just like I don't know where my consciousness comes from. Does it just live in the tissue of my of this organ sitting in my cranium or is there something more to consciousness? Is there parts of the universe that we just don't understand yet? I don't well, know, but yeah, duh. I don't really care yeah. where it comes from. <laughs> right. I don't really care. Yeah, exactly. Of course we don't understand it. We, don't <laughs> right. understand. we, we, especially when you're talking about the mind, like, yeah, you know, we, we still have so much that we, we don't, <laughs> it's like what that Rumsfeld <laughs> quote, there are no knowns and unknown knowns or whatever. Anyway, we right. don't know what we don't know. Yeah, um, right. And, <laughs> and so anyway, I think these visionary experiences have really, um, help me kind of develop the meaning and purpose that I derive from life. Well, I, I know I didn't
1: prepare you for any of this, but as I'm listening to you talk, Micah, I think what I'd like to do uh, eventually, I think what I'd, I, I think I'd like to work my way to talk about these different medicines that you're talking about, plant medicines or whatever. We could talk specifically about those, some of the visions or experiences or insights that you've had with them. But before we get there, there's two things that you said that I'd I'd really like to spend some time talking about. And one is just trying to understand what consciousness is or what, like what, what you mean when you're talking about consciousness and I'm under no delusions that we're going to crack this nut and have the right answer in our conversation. We're just having fun exploring, you know, the, the the way you see things, the way that I see things, and then our listeners can compare that against the way that they see things. But, but but so I want to talk about consciousness. Um, and, and then, um, this idea that you, you said something earlier about how w- our waking reality isn't, like it is real, but it isn't the the entirety of reality. It's a portion of that. So I kind of want to explain those, uh, explore those two ideas, and then uh, talk more specifically about some of these medicines. So let, let's start with consciousness. Okay. What, what, what do you mean when you say consciousness? What, what does that even mean? What
0: is it? So, you know, I, I guess uh see, I don't even know. I don't know. Like right. it, the problem is is that language really doesn't do a good job. It does it's not um super helpful when you talk about these concepts, I don't think. And so the only way you can really understand any of these concepts is to experience them, you know, to experience different states of consciousness. But but
1: every but everybody right now who's listening to this is experiencing a state of consciousness.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. And and that is um you know, especially in our Western society, that is like the functional consciousness. That is mm. the you. That is I. Like me talking to you right now in my current state of mind, that is the real, this is the real mica talking to you right now. <laughs> the real mica. And Micah. And, and, okay. and any deviation from that is an altered state of consciousness, right? Mm. And so um, I don't even know what the right terms are for half of these things. Like sure. different books call it different things, but I'm just going to yeah. call it waking consciousness, but the functional con- and you know, people experience altered states, you know, very often. That's what a dream is. A dream is an altered state of consciousness, mm. you know? So you leave your waking consciousness and go into a different, um, angle or facet or room. <laughs> how about, how
1: about the word awareness? Like, like, you can the, can the word awareness be a synonym for consciousness or is there is there more to consciousness than you get just in the word awareness
0: um that's a good question because you know i think it, it maybe it's helpful to kind of compare what we think of as aware because you know for example if i look at a dog and mm-hmm. i imagine what kind of consciousness that dog has versus what i experience i imagine that 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 word awareness is a part of that difference. You know, like I was actually talking to something, somebody about this uh, last night, how one of the things that makes humans so unique is that all of, as far as I can tell, most species are just running a program, right? Like a dog isn't really thinking very much about, you know, the fact that it's a dog or questions why it does the thing, the things that it does, you know, it just runs the dog program. And humans, we run the human program, but what's weird about us is we can actually look under the hood and look at the program now and we can see how it works a little bit and start to understand it. And so that kind of awareness, you know, I think just by its nature makes it a different kind of consciousness than what other species have.
1: I I heard it one, I don't remember where this was. It might've been like an Alan Watts thing. It could have been just a conversation I was having with somebody once, but but they were talking about that difference i th- I think even using the example of a dog or, or animals that that it 's clear that they 're aware of things because they 're responding to um, stimuli in the environment and, well,
0: and they feel compassion they feel love sure. they feel joy they feel pain they feel yeah. fear you know so there 's so much overlap but but the question is
1: are they aware that they 're aware and yeah. and that that 's maybe the 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 line of you know of, of humans being able to look under the hood, as you know, the words that you used for it, but that w- we can think about thinking, we can be aware about being aware, and, and we can
0: observe our own thoughts.
1: Yeah, we can observe it's our weird. observations <laughs> of observing our thoughts, and and you know, get into this really meta meta realm, and and also to the point where we're we're able to kind of recreate that. I know there's the questions about are we ever going to be able to recreate. Human consciousness for artificial intelligence, and some people say, "Yeah, it's close." And other people say, "Yeah, it's far away," or "No, it'll never happen. It's too complex."
0: No, it'll so, happen. Of course, it'll happen. It's already happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's already it's, it's already happened, it's already <laughs>
1: happened somewhere in yeah, this. Place bets on how
0: long, but it is going to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what 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 do you think the probability is that it it has already happened somewhere in this universe,
0: where an organic life form created a uh, electronic life form? Sure. I don't that, know. That 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 I mean, consciousness. Oh, like oh like developing. So here well okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean if 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 you think
1: about yeah, I, I mean I've spent some time thinking about this that um h- how many trillions of stars are there, you know, solar systems and planets and there's got to be more than a handful of earth-type planets and we don't even know if there's non-carbon Based forms of life out there, we haven't discovered any that I'm aware of. I don't know. Maybe we have. Maybe somebody would come to me and say, "Oh, we actually have." But but where life goes through this process of evolution to the point where you know we can look at ourselves and go, "All right, we we can separate ourselves from the animals because we know that we think that we think. You know, we're we're aware that we're aware. We've we've attained that level of consciousness. Um, But there are additional um, more advanced levels of consciousness that artificial intelligence would be able to to reach that we can't even comprehend at at this point. What 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 are the probability? What's the percentage probability that that has already happened at some other place in the universe where life has evolved similar to here, but with different environments? And to to me, I think it's more probable than not. I, I give it I give it more than a fifty percent chance.
0: I mean, that's just my gut feeling. Yeah. I couldn't it. even venture a guess. to be honest with you. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. That's a better question for like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Than
1: no, me. <laughs> we, oh, whatever. I'm not,
0: oh, maybe if I'm looking for the right answer, I'm more <laughs> interested in what you think. Well, here's something I want to kind of, the, the thing that, that I find interesting to think about with consciousness is that if you listen to the language that we're using, like awareness mm-hmm. and things like that. There were, we, we, we put this hierarchy on consciousness and we always have, you know, um, where, you know, you've got, you've got humans at the top and uh, of the, the consciousness of the awareness spectrum. Right. And then you've got, and then up until recently, it was like really men at the top. Then, women and then, and then, Oh, and you know, white dudes in particular, you know, all that stuff. yeah And then, and then, you know, you've got animals and then plants, you know, and then rocks, you know, there's this like hierarchy, but I just really wonder if that's even the right way to look at it. I just think, I wonder if what we perceive as um, more awareness or superiority is us just kind of you know, projecting our own narcissism on what consciousness is, you know, right. because like, because the, the fact that we, after with all the technology that we have, with all of the you know, radiology equipment and techniques that we have, we still don't know what the mind is and what consciousness is. And we can look at the tissue of the brain and we can pick it apart and dissect it and we still don't know it. So how do we know that a plant doesn't have something like this? Sure. You know, how do we know that, you know, things that we have always perceived as, you know, soulless, mindless things that are here really for our benefit, (laughs) You know, it, (laughs) but we, we really just have no idea, you know, what consciousness is and what can have it and what can't and what it's even like, you know, like let's pretend, let's just suspend our disbelief and pretend that something like a tree has some sort of sentience or consciousness, you know, it probably wouldn't be anything remotely similar to what we, would recognize as consciousness you know but that let's doesn't make it not if, be that doesn't make hasty. it uh, hmm?
1: did you catch that us let's not be hasty
0: <laughs> hobbit. yeah i get it. The, ants. <laughs> the
1: ants yeah like that. tolkien was exploring <laughs> this idea what would it be like if tree know and i
0: do I want to know what Tolkien was smoking besides tobacco. That's what I want to know.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you don't think that there um it was shire leaf.
0: Yeah, shire leaf. Shire I leaf, like
1: shire leaf. <laughs> so what about what about words like intelligence? Like um w- where where would intelligence fit in the consciousness or awareness spectrum of things in the way I would
0: say intelligence it? is maybe like Okay. So imagine conscious, I'm just spitballing here. Imagine consciousness is like a modular system, like a system that can have a lot of different components that you can stick together. So like humans, one of those modular components is intelligence, right? Like that's a part of human consciousness is, um, um, some level of intellect. Now, what does that word mean? I don't know, man. Like, um, I, I, I don't know. What, what does the word intelligence mean?
1: Yeah. I don't know. Is it the ability to remember things really good? Really, really, mm. really good. You got good intelligence, you know, to, to figure probably, things out. I mean, you got a quick, you got a quick processor in that organic computer. I guess I would just say the here. things
0: they test for in an IQ test. That's what intelligence is. <laughs> yeah, you know, Puzzles, decision-making. Um, what what to, about a strand of DNA? What about it? Yeah. Would, I mean,
1: because the, a strand of DNA contains, um, all of this genetic information. Is that Mm -hmm. intelligence? It's like a, it's like a library. It's like a data chip. That's just got all this dormant information stored in it that when, you know, I, I, I saw this, this video recently that was really interesting. It was talking about the way that cells interact with the environment around them. And it's, it's kind of like a binary thing, like yeses or noes. and they've got certain things that will either fit through the membrane or they won't fit through the membrane, like the, the, the shape of mm-hmm. molecules and things. And, and when something bump, bumps up against the membrane um, of the cell, the cell has a way of communicating to the nucleus and to all of the genetic information that's stored inside of the nucleus how to respond to that thing that's bumping up against it on the outside of it. And it it's will... Starting. Yeah, it's well, it's it's reacting at least. I mean, that, that so there's the question: is it is it just a dumb mechanic um, response to thing that that has evolved over hundreds and thousands of years with this repetitive pattern that if X then Y, you know, kind of thing. Going back to my DOS days <laughs> when I was like eleven years old, <laughs> DOS, in, I remember DOS. School,
0: if X then Y, you know, <laughs> but
1: but um, but it's so. It's so interesting to think about those processes that are constantly going on, even within our own bodies that we're not aware of, and that information that's stored really densely packed in the nucleus of every cell that we have, I think I'm, I think I'm on the right track with this. I'm thinking, well, I'm and
0: this is right. why I love Westworld so much. Oh, Westworld. Even yeah. though it's, it's execution is sometimes, <laughs> yeah, especially- I love everything that they're trying to explore. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, the thing that I love about Westworld is it's, it's, you know, kind of the, the on its face premises, you know, robots, you know, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence and the distinction that the human creator's robots between themselves and their and their creations, and how they they're just they're just machines running programs but um, and you know the the human creators the question, do, they, do they have agency do they have free will well i think I think one of the questions that Westworld wants you to ask is what 's the difference between them and us at the end of the day because the human creators you know like uh, like dr. Ford. Anthony Hopkins character, you know, he knows every moving little part, every little piece of code. He can break down these machines into um, its most, you know, basic fundamental parts. He knows it. But obviously the machine is more than the sum of its parts, right? And these these machines are experiencing consciousness. It may not be the exact same. Of course it's going to be different because they're a different thing, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, our, um, I'm so glad you brought up Westworld. I hadn't even thought about going Westworld yeah, on this. Westworld yeah. is all about the, this this whole exploration of what consciousness it is, is. It really is. And, um, and that that
1: little that little figure at the center of the maze in in season one that you know, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched Westworld but wants to, just shut this off now because we're just going to talk. Uh, <laughs> but but it's uh, Dolores. Um, she is the voice that she's been hearing. You know, she, she's been picturing that it's Ford or was it uh, Bernard or what, you know, whatever that was, but it turns out it was really her. She was, she was hearing her own voice and she was the one that was dictating the things that she was doing. And that was kind of like waking up or, you know, like uh, enlightenment or, you know, the equivalent of that for this Android or are they considered androids? I don't know what they're considered. I
0: probably. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well so do you think there's an equivalent to that? Or is that just a metaphor? I just What's think
0: I well, I think I don't I don't think it really answers any questions. I think it's it's I think it's it's teaching us with the question. The question is what is the difference between these humans and these androids? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what the show you know, one of the things that wants you to wrestle with and really think about and contemplate. And so instead of talking about, uh, you know, an Android, let's talk about a dog or a cow, you know, like their consciousness is, is different or a plant. I'm just saying, and, and, and really what I was kind of, uh, trying to circle back to was your question about, you know, does something like DNA have intelligence? Mm -hmm. Does it have consciousness? And the thing that has really dawned on me lately and actually a lot of this uh, is going to be, um, kind of echoing what Matt talked about, um, when he was uh, talking about this and cause he, he and I, he gave me this book to read called uh, climate, a new story. Mm. Were you and I talking about this anyway? Um, you know, <sighs> There's, I, I like what, um, this is, this is about like the kind of the Gaia theory. Yes. Stuff. Okay. I, I really like, um, I think it's an Alan Watts quote where he says, he says, you are something that the whole world is doing. Sure. Yeah. And just like waves on a sea, right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's made up of individual ripples and waves, but that's not how you think about it. Yeah. You know, and you know, so let's look at our things like DNA or let's look at like the bacteria that live in our gut or let's look at, you know, just all the little parts of us that make us that coalesce into this organism. Right. Mm. You know, there's, there's really no separation between us and our DNA. You know, like it's all one thing, just like this world is all one thing and we're a part of it. Just like, you know, the DNA molecules and the bacteria are a part of us. And so, for me, it's hard to distinguish where, you know, this, the sense of me, this waking consciousness, my understanding of who I am begins and all that other stuff that makes me up ends, you know? And so but, it's but all
1: that stuff exists outside of your waking consciousness, right? Like you're, you're not aware of every individual bacteria that's in your gut. True. True. And what it's doing.
0: Yeah. But it's there. Yeah, just but it's there, it. and it's and it's happening, and it is, it is influencing that waking consciousness. All of that stuff. Right. That's all. Um, yeah, influencing and
1: informing, and being influenced by, and being and, informed by, and like you know, give and take with things that you do.
0: Right, and so our body is doing that to our consciousness. Um, we are deciding what goes into our body. We are deciding what happens to our body but sometimes we don't. And so it's not just about what's happening inside our body. It's what's happening in the world around us. You know, things like trauma are going to affect our waking consciousness. And so we're all, you know, like bumping into each other, whether it's plants and animals, animals and humans, you know, everything is alive on this planet and everything is happening. And the, the reason I like that book, I never understood this concept of the separation myth. And Mm. that's, what he's trying to debunk in this book is the kind of the Western separation myth that there, that there is, that we are separate things. Right. Yeah. You know that, that I can hurt you without it affecting me. Sure. I can take oil from the planet and shoot it into the sky and that's not going to affect me. I can reroute rivers. I can, I can till up land. I can, I can hurt my body or I can hurt, an animal, you know, or without it ultimately affecting you. And, you know, this planet, you know, as far as I'm concerned is the only God that we're ever going to have. And just as much as, as, you know, we earn more than the sum of our parts. I think this planet is too. And for, for all we know, the planet has some kind of intelligence and which by the way, all of this stuff, is very Mormon. <laughs> yeah, it's very like deep doctrine. Cleon Scousen, like Pratt Brothers. That's stuff.
1: what it was. So I was talking with somebody today about Cleon Scousen, and, and I'm like, I was talking with somebody recently. I couldn't remember. It, it was, was me. You. It, was, yeah, it, was it was me. Yeah,
0: when we were getting beer.
1: Yeah. T- t- so so um, t- tell tell our listeners and remind
0: me about these Cleon <laughs> Scousen doctrines. Well. Actually, what kind of got me on this tangent or this kind of line of thought was I was listening to Sam Harris on the Russell Brand podcast. Okay, and they were talking about consciousness, just mm-hmm. like we are. And Sam Harris, and no, we're said, doing it way better than they did. Of course, I mean, yeah, Sam Harris. But, but we are, though. On, we really on are, Glenn though. <laughs> no,
1: but we really are, though. That, that was that was a horrible conversation. They couldn't agree on anything. They were talking. Yeah, that, they, that was, it was a terrible conversation.
0: Two different languages for yeah. sure. and I think Sam was trying and and I think when he said this he was trying he was trying to like meet Russell on his on his level, you know, but, you know, and, and, and so, you know, he was talking about a lot of the same things like that. We don't know where consciousness comes from. Yeah, Uh, Maybe it's all just neurons firing and brain matter and tissue and electricity and fat and, you know, just chemistry, right? That could be what all there is to consciousness. Mm -hmm. But then he said this other thing. He's like, he's like, or who knows, maybe consciousness just naturally arises with, um, increasingly more complicated systems with the organization of molecules and matter. And I was just like, whoa, what? Yeah. Sam Harris just said that? Like, that is really kind of out there, I thought. And then I just had this epiphany. I'm like, oh, that's just like that deep doctrine, Cleon Scouson stuff I would read on my mission about how, you know, when Lehigh in the book of Mormon was talking about how there are two things that which acts and that's that which is acted upon Mm -hmm. that what he's actually talking about is an, is, um, ancient wisdom and ancient doctrine, which is that everything in the universe is made up of either eternal intelligences or eternal elements and things can't get organized until an intelligence pairs with an element and creates a bond. And it's then at that point that it can be commanded by God. Right. And that the reason the intelligences obey God and organize as he desires is because of the perfect virtue that, that God is and their love and devotion for him. So that's how God was able to organize, um, unorganized matter. It was because he influenced and persuaded these intelligences. Right. I remember Rock Waterman, um, talking about this way, way back
1: in the day. I I don't, it it might've been John Larson interviewed him for Mormon expression, or it could have been John DeLynn for Mormon stories. It was one of the two. And, and Rock Waterman was saying that the reason that the elements obey God is because they love him and they're making a choice to do it.
0: Yep. And, and the really weird kind of dark, um, side of that whole, because I actually think I really love that it's still something I love talking about and kind of nerding out about is some of that, (laughs) that bizarre, like deep Mormon doctrine. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And, um, but the dark, the kind of the darker side of that doctrine is that what it tries to do is answer the question of what exactly demands this immense amount of justice that Jesus has to satisfy somehow. Right. And, but what Cleon Skousen said is, and this is like, he claimed to get this from, uh, John A. Widstow, I think, Mm. who got it from, you know, the Prats, who got it from Joseph Smith. Anyway, I can't remember like the lineage of these ideas, but, um, you know, it's not God that's demanding justice for our sins. It's actually the intelligences because the elements themselves it's the intelligences, the, the, and these are lesser intelligences. This goes back to our whole hierarchy thing. We are the, we are the superior intelligences. We are the noble and great ones. Right. And the lesser intelligences like the intelligence, that's a tree or a dog or Mm. a rock. Mm. They are, they have a ceiling on their progression. They can't become like the gods, but we are because we're special. And, so, it's, and, and so, it, so with great power comes great responsibility. And so it's simply unjust and unfair that with this enormous opportunity to become like our creator, that we mess up and stray from that perfection. It's just not fair to give us a pass because it's such an enormous opportunity and it wouldn't be fair to these lesser intelligences if those sins were overlooked. And so some kind of justice needs to be given. And apparently... Is Jehovah because they love him? They love him so much that they are willing. Basically, like I don't know what the the right term for it is. They basically, you know, they're doing Jesus a solid. Yeah, essentially by accepting his
1: sacrifice. Twisted pretzel logic on a stick with like nacho cheese dripped all over it. It's just delicious. It is just. just I love
0: it, it. It is delicious, and it's like such a. It's like it's like that is it's a i think it's a great christian philosophy and perspective you know i like well
1: it. i yeah and i i think of it more as like a artistic expression almost um you know like great great science fiction that is believed you know with with right. a lot of devotion but yeah. it's still just you know just trying to answer these questions in ways that for whatever reason make sense to them in that place and time and with all the information they've been given and that this is how they express something to make sense for them. And mm-hmm. yeah, I really like that. I, I wondered as you were talking about the lesser intelligences, like the trees and the rocks that have a ceiling on their progression. I know that there was a doctrine of multiple mortal probations, oh, um, but funny. I, I haven't, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that much about it. And I'm wondering if if you if you add, you know, which is basically reincarnation, right? It, the, the multiple yeah, it's Mormon, Mormon re-
0: reincarnation, yeah.
1: To this other thing, would that mean that the lesser
0: intelligences are also on the path of eternal progression? And you would you would think so, but I mean, it seemed like Skousen was pretty convinced that they had ceilings, for whatever reason. That I See, guess eternity at, isn't a long enough time for them to. Ceilings with a C, not ceilings with an S that's
1: done in the temple. Yes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) A cap. A cap. Yeah. Speaking Um, of caps. Yeah.
1: I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if we're ready to transition into the plant medicine yet, but doing it on the word cap would have been a great place to do it. (laughs) (laughs) If it it, it works. But, um, so I, I, so I want to talk about consciousness. What was the other thing I said I wanted to talk about as the uh, I think we, we, we kind of touched on both of them we, with, with consciousness, did, did when, when we were having, uh, that beer the other day, did I mention to you, Stuart Hammeroff, the, the anesthesiologist down at the university of Arizona, huh? Done a bunch I, of,
0: that doesn't sound familiar from, you know, um, he's, he,
1: he gets a lot of shit, um, and probably rightly so. I don't know. Um, he, he was one of the producers of the, what the bleep do we know? video but he but he holds a consciousness uh conference every year and it's started getting more and more legit scientists attending it and and kind of opening up the, he he worked with somebody whose last name was penrose maybe it was charles penrose who's a who's a really well respected mathematician and the two of them came up with some kind of a a theory that consciousness, and I don't remember all the details of this, but consciousness somehow arises within each individual neuron through this thing called a microtubule. And and microtubules, like there's there's tons of these microtubules inside of each uh, neuron, and they are self-governing, self-building, self, you know, they, they will like, the, the microtubules are responsible for mitosis when cells split it's because the, the the these microtubules start moving. I picture like, have you seen the movie Big Hero Six with the little nanobots? <laughs> it's been a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, like those, like that. That's what I was picturing the whole time I was reading this <laughs> thing about microtubules inside of the 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 neurons, and I still don't know quite how all of those pieces come together to form consciousness or awareness in the way that we're talking about. I think Stuart Hameroff, he he tries to get away from the metaphysical woo stuff, but I don't think he can really avoid it. Um, and the suggestion is, has been made that the awareness bubbles up <laughs> through, you know, from like really, really deep atomic subatomic vibrations where there is actual consciousness and intelligence. Um, similar to uh, maybe what I was talking about earlier about the, uh, genetic, uh, information that's stored in a nucleus, but that it's, it's being communicated. It's, and it comes up through the microtubules in the neurons. And so that when the neurons are moving around and firing, it's not a random thing. They're kind of being steered from within. Um, I don't know. It's interesting that's stuff. Crazy. That's interested yeah, I've in never heard about things,
0: any of that stuff. That is hammer off. So, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, we keep pulling on that string now, you know, we keep yeah. going deeper and deeper and deeper and it just seems like the deeper we get, the less we understand almost you're pulling but, on a the string theory. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I you know, I'm I have a very, you know, pedestrian um fluency and literacy with any of this stuff. So um stop berating yourself, Micah. <laughs> no, like I, I like I know a lot of people who can talk about stuff like this and you know, I can hang, but you know, it's like, I don't know. You're,
1: you're, you're bringing, you're bringing new stuff to the conversation. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Okay. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Take my word for it. I mean, and I don't think I have anything really original that I, I don't have much that I've come up with on my own, but you know, I've read a lot of books and I have a lot of smart people in my life, you know? And, and so, you know, I sort of have an amalgamation of, opinions and, and things that I believe, but I don't even really remember where half the stuff comes from <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that doesn't matter to me. Yeah. It doesn't matter no. to me either.
1: It doesn't matter to me. Um, so, so th- let, let's let take it then into the caps, into the, uh, the, the psychedelics. What, like, what, what are the plant medicines? What, what are the different plant medicines? Maybe you can like list them out and then we can talk about each one individually and
0: well, you know, um, so if you want to talk about like uh kind of raw whole plants that can um elicit uh altered
1: state of consciousness
0: altered states visionary experiences psychedelic experiences um obviously the one m- that most people know is our mushrooms uh psil- psilocybin mushrooms are our, are are you
1: just going to skip over marijuana completely that's not you, you don't um, No marijuana
0: though? I mean a gateway plant medicine. I'm just starting with, with, with mushrooms. Okay. <laughs> we can talk uh, about cannabis. I mean, cannabis, the thing about cannabis is it really, uh, and this is just my opinion. It really only becomes psychedelic when it's uh, done through edibles. Usually. Right. Yeah. Like if you're inhaling it and getting it r- right into your blood through your lungs, right. Then they you're really not going to have, I mean, maybe if it's like you did a lot like really early on, you know, and some people have that, but I, you know, I think, um, You know, some people will classify uh, cannabis as a psychedelic or at least a mild psychedelic. Mm -hmm. But I'd say that only applies when it's being done like as hashish or if it's, um, you know, edible. What, What is hashish? Hashish is where they, and I might be wrong about this, it's where they take the bud, the fresh bud, and then they just squeeze all of the resin out of it. Okay. And that's hashish. And then how do you, do you smoke
1: hashish? Is it, is that what you
0: do I, like in a hookah? Um, no hookah. I can't, hookah is just a, uh, kind of flavored candied tobacco. Oh that's really? All, yeah. That's oh, okay. all hookah is. Yeah. It's nicotine. It's a nicotine high. Okay. Um, some people will mix like weed with their hookah and stuff like that. Oh. Um, but, um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know a lot about hashish. I, I think, um, I think you can eat it, but that doesn't make sense because it's not decarboxylated. You know, it hasn't been heated up to be converted into... See,
1: look at you using fancy words like decarboxylated. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Micah, you need to give yourself more credit here.
0: <laughs> like I, well, decarboxylate is, you know, when, uh, it, when you eat marijuana, it's... I'm going to get this backwards. It's THCA and then heat converts it into THC.
1: Mm, okay.
0: So like if you're going to make weed brownies, what you have to do first is get a bunch of cannabis, you know, material. A lot of times it's like the trim or the stems or, you know, just the the, the spare stuff. You get that together and you have to heat it. And, you know, there's lots of ways you can do it, but you heat it in the oven at 160 degrees for like an hour. And then all the THC. Bet that is, smells great. Yeah, it is. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> for the neighbors. Yeah. The neighbors start asking, well, if they're good neighbors, they'll come over and have some pot brownies. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, anyway, then, then you can, uh, then you extract all the THC from the plant with uh, oil you, mm-hmm. you, then you cook it in oil for a while anyway. So, yeah. but when you do that, the THC gets processed in your liver and then it gets turned into a completely different chemical, which is like five times more potent than THC, and that's why edibles are so much stronger oh, really? than yeah. inhaling. So, yeah. um, the the, yeah. the first time I ever did that, Mike, it was
1: it was a a brownie that I ate, and I went like an hour, hour and a half. I didn't feel anything, and so then we smoked, and then I'm like, okay, I can feel that, and then the edible hit, uh-huh. and I swear, I I thought, how can anybody function on this i was so out of it like i oh, yeah. i couldn't remember like like i i would i would get up to walk into the kitchen and forget why i had even gotten up or where i had been like five seconds earlier you know that that was you know, the the you know my yeah well my the first time
0: experience. the first time i got high on cannabis um i was at a big party. <laughs> yeah. And somebody gave me a 170 milligram brownie from the, from a dispensary. I, I
1: still don't know, like with the milligrams, like uh, for,
0: for like uh, for a beginner's tolerance, 10 milligrams is plenty. Oh really? Okay. And I had 170 and I, wow. it really was not good. (laughs) And so until the next day, then I felt great like all the next day, (laughs) but yeah, that was a rough night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And so, um, but anyway, so yeah, cannabis, um, can definitely, um, it's definitely a mind altering plant. Um, yeah. Yeah. And medicine. And, And the thing, the thing that I didn't know, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't do this as a kid.
1: You know, I was a good Mormon. Yeah, neither I, did I. I never, I never drank. I, I didn't mm-hmm. smoke pot. I didn't, you know, do any of that stuff until like in the last, you know, I don't know, recent years, you know, so I was well in, into my forties before I, I, I tried yeah. any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, like I was surprised by, it, it felt like I could feel more you know, like, like, uh, food tasted better, obviously music sounded better. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the sensations of cuddling or sex,
0: you know, I mean, just
1: any, all of that just felt,
0: but it was, it was, it was, it it makes everything more vibrant. Yeah. It was, and it
1: was, it was strange. It was, it, it was strange to me that it had that kind of impact. I'm like, okay, I can, I can see now why this is as popular. <laughs> I see why people like this. I they see why people like better. this.
0: <laughs> really? You could get a prescription for this kind of stuff? What do I got to do? Nice. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the experience I had after I tried that. Uh, yeah. You know, I realized that I had way too much, but the way I felt the next day, I was like, okay, I get this. Yeah. yeah. And then I got my card like right away. And um, and, and just but... one more thing I want to say about my experience with it that I, for, like I've had
1: a degenerative disc in my lower back since I was probably 19, so I've I've all I've gone through my entire life with chronic back pain, and would be prescribed opioids. Thankfully, I've got a high tolerance or whatever for addiction, so I've never got addicted to the the Norco or Loritab or Vicodin or any any of these things. oxycona, you know, all of these things that I had opioids. Once I got a marijuana prescription, I stopped taking the opioids and. My back pain has been reduced. Like, it's amazing to me. It's just absolutely amazing. So, it, it, kudos. Like I do thank, you, thank you, grandmother cannabis or whatever its name is.
0: <laughs> well, and that's the thing is, so many of these um, plants, they are both a mind-altering drug, but they're also a medicinal drug. Yeah. You know, cannabis is a perfect example of this miracle plant. That where, you know, it's like a, it has a thousand different sides to it. And one of them is THC that gets you high. Sure. Yeah. And then there's just hundreds and hundreds of other things that are good medicine for all kinds of different things in your body. And, um, and I, I feel that same way about mushrooms too. Um, because there are, you know, so many different like kind of mushroom species that are, are neuro regenerative that are good for, brain health good for like the um what do they call it the myelin the the coating around your neurons you know mm, right yeah you know, you know like lion's mane uh, mushrooms are are really good for that i don't know how much psilocybe mushrooms have,
1: <laughs>
0: have right. been examined for that but sure. um you know i just think that a lot of these plants yeah they make you feel good and they um provide this euphoric high experience but i also think it's just um, good medicine and almost good nutrition to have these things at least periodically in your life. Well, and,
1: and when you were talking about some of those, those mushrooms, you, you're not talking about just like the psychoactive mushrooms, but just like health benefits of the.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying other fun species fun, right? of mushrooms, yeah. not just psychedelic mushrooms, right. but you know, lots of mushrooms have these amazing mental health and kind of neurological benefits and yeah, my suspicion is is that these psilocybe mushrooms, in addition to um, giving you these visionary experiences, are also that it's also providing good medicine for your nervous system, and so. Um, I'm I'm sure you've listened to that Paul Stamets interview. Oh, yeah. with
1: Joe Rogan. Oh yeah, I love that, that was mind blowing, man. Oh yeah,
0: that was. Yeah. incredible. Everybody should listen to the Paul Stamets <laughs> interview on Joe Rogan. He's yeah. he is something else. I met yeah. him once. <laughs> oh really. I, I went to a psychedelic, uh, science oh conference yeah. in Oakland a couple of years ago yeah. and I, I got to meet him. I got to meet Dennis McKenna. I got to meet, um, uh, now I'm forgetting all their names. Uh, I got to meet Roland Griffiths, the guy who's running the Johns Hopkins psilocybin studies. Oh, cool. And I got to meet, um, you know, just, th- there's all these like kind of legendary people that are just like on the cutting edge of all of the psychedelic research that's happening right now. Yeah. And just, just great. But anyway, I, I, I heard that who's the guy
1: that, um, uh, founded maps. That's Rick Doblin, Rick Doblin. Yeah. I, I, I heard an interview with him. I think it was just this last December, but I, it it may have been a different time, but saying he, he, he's working with the FDA on clinical trials for MDMA. Right. Mm -hmm. And he, he was predicting that within like within the next five years, MDMA will be legal for therapists to use in um, clinical settings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Molly. Ecstasy. Yeah. Stuff that Oprah showed on TV that puts holes in your brains. Not really. Um, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. I still remember that. I still remember that being on the news when, when everybody was freaking about out about ecstasy at these raves in the, in the nineties. And I remember on TV, it showed like a, like a brain scan and it showed these holes in it. And it's like, a, a completely dishonest image because yeah, it looks like it puts holes in the brains, but they're just measuring. It's just a, it's just an image of particular brain activity in di- different sections of the brain. There's no holes in the brain. Like it's the brain's fine. <laughs> I mean, an MDMA itself is not, you know, I don't believe it's a neurotoxin at all. It's usually when you get other stuff mixed in with your, um, you know, with, with, in in those ecstasy pills. That's what can, you know, cause long-term problems usually. But yeah, the right now, um, maps is doing these studies on MDMA. Johns Hopkins is doing kind of parallel research on, um, psilocybin, which is the, um, you know, the psychedelic, the psychoactive uh, molecule in the mushrooms. Right. Um, And, you know, uh, you got guys like, uh, you know, Rick Strassman, who's, who, he did all that research, I think, in the 90s with DMT. He's the guy in
1: New Mexico that did the spirit
0: molecule. Yeah, the spirit molecule guy. Yeah, okay. Um, The thing that's interesting to me about the John, and I don't know if we're even going in any kind of direction you want to, I just like talking about psychedelics, but the thing that's so fascinating to me Oh, I just lost my thought. Never mind. <laughs> it was something about the Johns Hopkins study. What was it? What was I going to say? <laughs> um, oh, the thing that's so fascinating to me about the Johns Hopkins studies is they are basically taking the old, um, the old experiments that they were doing in the fifties and sixties, yeah. and just trying to replicate them and doing them uh, doing them better. Mm-hmm. Like the, this is all research that was going on before, and the thing that's that's so hard to 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 penetrate with anytime you're talking about these illegal drugs is that we don't we're 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 in this milieu of this idea that that there are subs that there are plants and drugs that are dangerous and that we need to prohibit them and keep them away from people to keep them safe and to keep society safe and so the, the whole, then we've all been swimming in that for a hundred years. You know, yeah. it's, it's only been a hundred years where it even was like an idea of a, what cannabis even was and B that it's dangerous or that these other drugs are dangerous. The idea of dangerous drugs didn't exist until like a hundred years ago. And the idea that these things should be prohibited and controlled that it's, it's, it's a blip in our history. It's yeah. a goof, it's a mistake, you know, like this whole paradigm of dangerous drugs is is a construct, and it has its roots in racism <laughs> yeah. and in um economics the state the state trying to control you know, and that's and that's not just a wild conspiracy theory, this is all you yeah. know public record now, sure um and so anyway and so we need to get out of that paradigm and understand that, you know, these plant medicines like psilocybin or DMT or cannabis or mescaline or, um, what there, and there are even likely kind of ancient, um, variants of what we know as LSD today. Mm -hmm. Like the Greeks did something that, that, um, yeah, that, that stealing fire book talks about it. yeah. Yeah. And so, so anyway, this, these plants, um, have always been with us perhaps from the very beginning, you know? Yeah. The stoned ape idea of, uh, yeah, the stoned ape day, hypothesis. Right? You know, yeah. I really like that just like, I like the whole idea of the intelligences and the elements, but I don't know how much stock to put in it, but I think it's, a just like the whole idea of that, <laughs> that Joseph Smith was experimenting with entheogens. Like it's a, it's a, theory that makes a lot of things make sense. And I think the stone ape hypothesis is like that too. It is. Oh, go ahead. Cause we can't explain the million year leap in like the doubling of our, of our, you know, brain cavity or whatever. And, yeah. you know, like it's just this enormous quick rapid growth of the development of our, of our brains and our, in our species. And it's kind of, it's still very mysterious to the anthropologists and everybody else. you know, how all that happened. Um, and so the idea that you know these kind of ancient monkey people <laughs> monkey <laughs> you know they're they're their climate changed and you know they were in trees but now all the trees are gone and there's kind of this grassy savanna and so they have to learn to be out in the open and then they stumble upon these mushrooms they eat them you know and that they both the mushroom and that animal kind of live together and develop together. Mm -hmm. Um, And cannabis is the same way too. Like cannabis very obviously has been um, influenced just like dogs and, and other animals have been very um, uh, commingled with, with our species. And so Mm -hmm. whatever cannabis was when humans started using it, like it's, it's, it's not the same thing anymore. Like it's, it's a thing that specifically is kind of made for us, you know, um,
1: I, I saw something on, on YouTube once. I, I, was, I was scanning through documentaries um, about this sort of thing, and I don't, I don't know how much credence to put in this or not, but that there are animals that have been documented that put themselves into altered state of consciousness by doing this very thing. In, in, Most mammals do.
0: Most yeah. mammals, if they can figure out how to have altered states, they will seek them out. Yeah. Um, bears do it. Jaguars, panthers, cats. Like, there were like you know, these dolphins that would come across some. Yeah. There's like psychedelic fish that the dolphins yeah. do and they pass it around like a joint. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. real.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> there's some psychedelic fish that they eat. There's something in it that, that gets them high. And they, it's. I, I want to see that and feature. It's part in, of their, uh... and, it's, and it's part of their bonding. And when you look at, you know, um, Pre-agrarian yeah, cultures, it is, it is part of their bonding. Yeah. That's what the, that's kind it's of so part true. of. Yeah. Like, I honestly think that a big part of being a human is getting together and getting high together. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, once we invented fire and we could stay up late at night, like, and and be safe and protected yeah. and warm, like, you know, that's I just well, thought that became such a part of our development as a species. And I think that these that these particular plants have been absent for the past hundred years. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. I don't, well, there's other ways of
1: absent. doing it. There's other ways of achieving it though, too. And, and so even, even going to sacrament meeting and sitting through that boring meeting and singing and doing stuff, you're, you are repeating these patterns and rhythms and, and that repetition and and everybody joining in and that can lead to these states of ecstasy that, you know, the, you, you call it getting high together, but people getting together, to experience something that seems outside of themselves, that's bigger than themselves.
0: Right. Yeah, And, you know, I just think that these plants can kind of grease the wheels for that to happen. Because like like I was saying earlier, you don't need drugs to have these experiences. Um, The wonderful analogy that I think Dennis McKenna said (laughs) is that, you know, if you imagine transcendent mystical experiences as... You know, this land that's at the other side of a river from you, there's mm-hmm. lots of different ways that you can cross that river. For example, like let's say it's a really wide river, let's say it's like the English Channel. Yeah, you can train for months and years and swim across that river, swim across that channel, and you will get there. But the ferry's five bucks. And that's kind of how I feel about psychedelics. You know, like you're going to have to unpack that for me. I didn't get it. Okay. So there's <laughs> my, well, all I have to do is eat a plant and I get there. So what? what is the ferry is five bucks. I don't understand what that means. The ferry to get across the river. Oh, that it's inexpensive. Yeah. that yeah, It's inexpensive and faster. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, gotcha. 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 Oh, you could swim or you could take the ferry. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sorry. That was... No, I was.
0: It's because that I way.
1: was. Thi- no, it was because I was thinking about the next line of questions. It happens as I'm doing these things. I do the same. I don't thing. always. I don't always pick up on on what's being said. It's a a failing, Micah. Uh, if you're going to beat yourself up, I'm going to beat myself up too. It's a failing of mine. <laughs> even after all yes. these podcasts, let us
0: all that I've done. let us all get together and flog ourselves. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: To us, to a state of ecstasy, because I think that what um, we've answered the question what is the meaning of life to Micah Nikolayason and it's to get high. <laughs> mm. And it was before. Maybe. It was before. <laughs> it, 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 as a as a believer in the Mormon church, you got high on yeah. the gospel. <laughs> you know, I get high on life. You got high on the gospel. And then when when that was taken away from you, I got um, high on something else. You get high on something else. And you're like, oh wow, this is just a five buck ferry. I'm in.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I'm in. Well, I mean, when I, when I discovered psychedelics, it was like a desperate last ditch effort. Um, because leaving, you know, having the church pull, you know, pulling myself away from the LDS church was, uh, it was, you know, everybody know everybody who listens to this podcast understands, you know, what that does to your soul. Yeah. But after, you know, shortly after that, my marriage ended and that, was like a thousand times worse. And I was on antidepressants and they weren't cutting it. And the only reason I would get up in the morning was for my kids every single day. Mm. And I actually watched this documentary, um, that you can watch on Amazon prime called neurons to Nirvana. And I don't even know why I watched it, but I just started watching this documentary. And this documentary has all of these people from Johns Hopkins, like Roland Griffiths, Dennis McKenna is on it. It's a documentary about psychedelics, specifically from a medicinal kind of clinical perspective. Mm. And it kind of teaches, you know, what the roots of the drug war are and, you know, why that happened and why it was a mistake. And that, and so it just, it, it basically, what that documentary offered to me, it was a potential solution to my problem. Mm -hmm. And even though I still had all of the same negative stigma to something like doing LSD or doing magic mushrooms, it really was just kind of a a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that the SSRIs that I was on, that they would you know, have an impact and inhibit the experience. Mm. So I kind of just made this plan where I spent three months getting off my meds and then I was just going to try to have, so you
1: could do the mushrooms.
0: Yeah. So I could, so I could just, just try to give this thing a a really good shot and not having any idea of what it was going to be like, or if it was going to even do anything. I didn't know if it was going to be really scary. I, you know, really just had no idea. But at that point, I just was willing to try anything. And the, the thing that was, that was so surprising about my first big mushroom trip was I still to this day, cannot believe how thoroughly and effectively it healed my mind. Wow. Just, just one time just, just, just that one time. Wow. And, um, and I'm not saying that's the only time I've done it. And it's not like the, the, the thing about psychedelics is, is they, they show you a door. They, they open the door for you to look at and see what's on the other side of it. Like, this is what it would feel like if you weren't a suicidal mess. This is what it feels like to, to be fulfilled. This is what it feels like to let go of your hate but you still have to do all the work, you know, but it shows you the path of what you can do and it helps you process your trauma. And you have these visionary experiences. You know, when I did my first mushroom trip, I still was just racked with so much pain and anger and hatred from my divorce. And what I expected going into that trip was that I was going to face this monster, this demon, this, you know, malevolent presence in my life. But when I had this trip, not only did the mushroom experience be like, oh, we know exactly what you need. Instead of finding hate and anger and and this beast that I had to fight, what I found was an incredible amount of love and compassion. And I had this amazing vision where I basically relived all the highs and all the lows, all the joy, all the pain of my marriage. And it was like a review of all of it and and then I was able to take all of those those things and those feelings and process them and let them go into the universe yeah. in a very um, like in a very metaphoric in a very metaphoric presentation yeah and you know and, and so that 's just one of the things that can happen. The other thing that you can have are just these grand theophanies you know where you either become God or you, you, you meet God, you know, these, the thing about psychedelics, it it showed me like, oh, like when these people talk about these visions where they commune with God and they had like, that's what this is. I'm finally, this is the real thing. This is like the real thing. And, and so which also is what opened up my mind to the possibility that maybe Joseph Smith was that his visions that he had his revelations maybe are, were authentic to some degree, at least in his mind. And you know, these visionary experiences, they are subjective to you. It's, I don't know if there's a ton. I think there are some objectives, definitely some objective truths to pull out of a psychedelic experience, but a lot of it is just about you and you know, facing your demons, and but but with enough distance from it that it doesn't hurt and and so that's why the, the MDMA therapy is so promising because what these therapists can do is they can sit with somebody for 3 hours while they while the while the molecules really do all the work and the 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 people who are participating in in this study are people with very severe PTSD mm-hmm. you know combat veterans victims of sexual abuse You know, people who have the worst, the worst uncurable PTSD, they are going through this clinical trial and they, I think they do two MDMA sessions, right? And then there's just like regular kind of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy in between. And, you know, these people are going through this, you know, like six month program. And then when they're taking their exit surveys, when they're taking the, going through the same diagnostic checklist and being asked questions, I think it would, I think the statistic I heard is 65% of the participants no longer qualify as having the diagnosis of PTSD. Sure. Yeah. That they're, they are, they're technically being cured of their PTSD because of these drugs. And this is, you know, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's great that I think it's important that there are regulations on these things. But at the same time, like if, if we as, you know, quote unquote Americans or as, as people who participate in a Western democratic liberal society, if we believe in values like that, we have the freedom to pursue life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, then we at the very least must have sovereignty over our own minds and what we do to them. You know? So if I want to eat a mushroom and alter my state of consciousness, that at the very least is the one thing that I should be able to have control and say over is what I use to alter the very thing that is me. And so, yeah. um, sorry, I'm going off on like a tirade about that, but <laughs> no, keep going. Um, you know, I just don't think that the state has the right to do that in the first place. And we know prohibition doesn't work. It's shocking to me that we didn't learn the lesson from the, the from the first half of the 20th century about yeah. prohibiting drugs. Um, and so I, what I really hope is with psychedelics is that we can just slowly break down the stigmas and embrace the role that these visionary experiences have played in our species for as far back as we know or can tell and use that in our lives. Because I think, and this is, this is all stuff that Matt loves to talk about how, you know, if you have, um, if there is dysfunction in your life, like, let's say you are, you drink too much or you eat shitty food or you're depressed or you're miserable or you push away people when they get close to you or, you know, these are all manifestations of previous traumas in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I'm, I don't know where I'm getting this opinion from just from the books I've read like, you know, Jonathan Haidt and you know, different psychology books, but you know, trauma leaves these scars on our souls. That result in coping mechanisms and the real glitch with being a human is that we use things that are self-destructive as coping mechanisms to deal with this trauma it's it's so crazy that we do this but we engage in behavior that is self-destructive in order to 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 treat the pain of our of our past trauma and so you can throw pills at that you can throw people at that you can throw sex at that at the end of the day nothing is going to change and nothing is going to improve until you actually face the trauma but with some trauma that is so scary and so painful that like it's just too much for most people to face directly i think so, i think also the
1: the world that we live in and the way that we're all connected through technology these days that we, we we are so worked up in a state of trauma anyway.
0: We're, it, oh, we're yeah. constantly in this fight or flight mode. Our minds are not made for the world <laughs> yeah, that, that we that we've created. This right? isn't, yeah. But and it's it's I
1: think it's propelling our minds to to something else. You know, I mean, obviously there there every time this planet has had some hostile environmental factor, life has evolved to overcome it.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all going to keep happening. Yeah. It's just probably not going to look the same. Yeah. But um, I just think that, um, sorry, I don't even remember what I was saying before that. It was a lot. <laughs> what were we talking about? It was a lot. Um, the the trauma that people have. Oh, know? yeah. So I think that psychedelics are a tool that allow you to face your trauma in an experience that is not just hard and challenging and it it is hard and challenging and painful and exhausting to do this kind of work in a psychedelic experience. But what comes along with that is a level of indescribable bliss and beauty and love and connection that it, it, you like for me, when I, when I'm, trying to specifically if I'm having the intention of dealing with traumas from my past, you know, it's, it's really hard and it's really painful, but it's also incredibly wonderful. Um, let me tell you what I think about that. Just,
1: just to push pause for a second, Micah, because you mentioned earlier that it's a very subjective experience. Um, when people are, are under the influence of these, um, you know, medicines and to, to, to me if 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 you're getting the type of fulfillment that you know life is beautiful and you're filled with love um, that, that you're describing I think that what that means is that that's kind of who you are anyway you know and and I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with people who are doing these things so i don't I don 't I don't really know to be able to make comparisons with other things but I can imagine that people have different experiences and transform themselves into different kinds of things, but it's more like magnifying what's already inside of
0: them a little bit more kind of well, bring, I would say out. it magnifies what's inside all of us really. You yeah. Know.
1: But, but, and, but some people are more, um, you know,
0: kind, well, and, and I'm not saying loving that and Some I'm, people are more selfish, more egotistical. Yeah. Well, I think I will say that I'm not saying that this is a path for everybody. I was just trying um, to compliment you. Is all. <laughs> Well, I thank you. Trying, I, I was just trying that. to compliment
1: you that I, that I, I, I think that well, this... Well, what,
0: what you're saying is true. It, a lot of it is about what you bring, bring to the table, you know? And, you know, your intentions, your, your, your state of mind, you know, the mood that you're in when you do it combined with how much you're doing and mm-hmm. where you're doing it, all those things are going to influence the experience. And yeah. so... um. So yeah, I, you know, for me, um, like <sighs> it's mushrooms, mushrooms are my antidepressant, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it's not like, it, like I said, it's not a permanent fix. So yeah, I had this amazing mushroom trip where I processed all my demons and I felt amazing for weeks after, but you know, I didn't really change a lot of my behavior what I what I did, you know, I didn't know how I, you know, I didn't implement any of the lessons that I learned in that experience. So eventually it comes back. And so all all I can do is, is have these experiences, listen to what these experiences are trying to tell me, I have no idea where it comes from. Are these just, uh, you know, are these experiences just arising from the neurons, like we were talking about? Or is it also possible that you are, you know, that that your channel that you're piping in somehow into something bigger and that's and regardless of where it comes from it doesn't matter to me all i know is is that the experience itself is incredibly transformative See, and
1: this is this is the thing that i find so interesting about it because i think that we already are piped into something that's bigger you know yeah. like the the, the this I, I don't know if you heard this on a previous episode or not but there's this um, theoretical physicist david tong who, um, it, I, I think the YouTube video is like the building blocks of life or something like that. He's giving this lecture out of Oxford or somewhere. I mean, this is, this is like a legit scientist, right? And, and he's talking about how, um, for, for so long, physicists have been talking about particles, 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 but it's actually waves. And it's actually um, every single, like if he's talking about an electron, that this little electron that we see, this, this bundle up unit of energy, it's, it's like um, fabric that has wrinkled up and bunched up into this one, one thing and it's that, that bunch right there and that's the electron. But it's part of this field that stretches everywhere so that the electron, like every single electron in my body is connected to this electron field that's also connected to the electrons in the microphone that I'm speaking to in your body, in my computer, like everybody that's mm-hmm. listening to this, that we are actually all connected at that level And that there's, I think like probably they've speculated 24, 28 different, like for every subatomic particle, like a boson or a quark or, you know, like whatever, they are a field of energy.
0: They're operating on a
1: frequency. Of Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, it's a frequency or something, but it's all connected. So, Mm -hmm. so, so the, the thing that, that I like to, to speculate with the, the psychedelics is that this very narrow band of waking consciousness that we talked about earlier in this conversation. Um, the, the walls of, or, or, or I, I think of it kind of like a, a, a partitioned hard drive and our, our, you know, our, our brain and our entire nervous system, however far that extends, <laughs> if, if it ends at our skin or if it continues, you know, mm-hmm. I get kind of crazy there, but, but that the, the partitions kind of dissolve and we have communication with different regions in our brain that don't usually communicate we become aware of things that maybe we don't have a frame of reference for we don't really know how to place meaning on it but it is connecting us it is making us more aware of the way that we're connected to everything and that that there can be very profound beautiful epiphanies that arise as a result of that but i do i do think that that that's absolutely true. We are a manifestation. You know, like you, you said the thing earlier about we are what the universe is doing right now. If you're going to get really detailed and really patantic about it, you get down to each atom and each subatomic material and the vibrations that they're making. And it's almost like you've got these trillions of domino, <laughs> like little yeah. domino sets that are, that are like interacting with each other, communicating with each other. And the manifestation of that is us. You know, it's just amazing, and that, and that with the psychedelics, you're somehow able to be a little bit more aware of that. Maybe I don't know. I like to think of it that way,
0: though. Yeah, I mean, I that's that's what I think. That's that's what I think's going on in in that per, in in those uh, altered states. But you know, there's no way for me to really know for sure. But I yeah. do think it's hard for. I mean, I was a very materialist, you know, I was expecting a chemical experience. Um, and, yeah, and you got one. And I got one. But what I didn't realize was that it would just complete, because the, the experience is so, um, the experience is so incredibly powerful and so um, ineffable and impossible <laughs> that to one. understand. There's that, that word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <that. laughs> <laughs> It lacks effing. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and, and uh, to, to me, th- this whole materialist-dualist dichotomy, I-, I just think it's outdated. I, I-, I think, it's, I think it's, it's a valuable framework at, at a certain point, but... Th- well, there, just, I feel like it's just part of the story. Th- th- there, there isn't anything that exists that doesn't exist. Right I mean, And that's kind of what materialism is saying. So if something exists, then it's in in a material realm and and like to say that something is dual or outside of materialism, it just doesn't mean anything to me. well I mean it's like it's like a way of creating a category it's it's you're creating a rug under which you can sweep the things that make you feel uncomfortable because there's not an explanation for it.
0: right. Instead well, of saying,
1: "Well, this is part of the material world too," we well, just don't understand. You know
0: what? What I think is crazy is that you know, I, I didn't. I just barely learned this sometime in the past year, probably, that I didn't realize what dark matter was. Oh, you understand it now? No. Well, well, I didn't understand that. Nobody knows what dark <laughs> right. matter. Yeah, and, and it's, it's like ninety-five like, like percent of everything. This? It's like yeah. Blink. Wait, you (laughs) (laughs) astrophysicists this whole time? You don't even know what ninety-five percent of this is? Okay. And and here and here's (laughs) here's my question. How do
1: you determine that? Ninety, Like if, if you're going yeah, to say this is know. 95% and 5%, then that means that you know 100% of what it is. And we don't. We don't know the limit. Like, like, like yeah, whatever like, is on the, the other side of what is. we're able That's to perceive, that. we don't know how far that stretches, how deep that goes to be able to p- put a percent. Yeah, what's 10% that. of everything? Yeah. of of, of infinite expansion you know and we don't even know if it's infinitely expanding or not there's there's no idea so so to to put a number on on dark matter at 95% when you really can't even put a number on these things it's it's a it's a guess and it's the best guess that they have and they've got their consensus on it but it's still you know yeah that is amazing but anyway I I real dark
0: Dark matter matter is just like passing through us constantly yeah that like it's just and so like that's satan and his
1: it's satan and his angels
0: that's what it is (laughs) because the dark dark whatever it is maybe it's the upside down from uh, oh yeah stranger things (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i'm just saying there's there's way more nobody should pretend that they know anything about what's going on all i know is is that is that i'm experiencing being this organism and that this brain has more to offer this experience of life than just waking consciousness. It's like, you know, it's like a guitar. Like you don't just play one string of the guitar. You, you play it all together and you know, or, or like an orchestra, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's good to have a violin solo, you know, but yeah, you know, it, it these all, these are all parts of us. It's not an accident that these mystical experiences can be triggered and that they provide an enormous amount of benefit for people who experience them. And I just think it's something we've lost in the pursuit of scientific materialism. We don't like talking about things that are less tangible, like a, like a spiritual experience, like a transcendent experience. And so I think those are things that have unfortunately been marginalized and kind of Kind of categorize as as esoteric or new age, or you know, that it's just something that um, is for primitive people and uh, people who believe in magic. And but you know, it's I think it's something that's always been a part of us, and I think it potentially holds a lot of answers to the things that ail us in society. You know, like we were saying earlier, we've built this this modern civilization with all this technology and all this complexity. And is it, but is it really making us, is it yeah. really giving us access to happiness? And we built this city on rock and roll. Yeah. We, we can't forget that either. I,
1: they, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I want to, I, I, I want to try to, to create, um, to, to articulate this image that I've been thinking about for, for a long time. And and this can be where we end because we've been going for an hour and a half now. Um, but so if 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 you picture like this very smooth pond that's just like glass on the surface, and you drop in a rock, and what you see these ripples. You know, there's these ripple effects, right? Um, and and that makes a design, and you can see that design, and you can see the impact of that rock on the surface of the water with all of these uh, uh, ripples. You take two rocks and drop them next to each other. And then you see the same kind of circular things, but then when, when the, the ripples hit each other, they make a different design. You know, you, you add a third rock, you add a fourth rock, and you've got all of these ripples, and they're, they're making this different design on top of the water. I, I, I kind of think of each person in this world as one of these rocks that's dropped onto the surface of a water. And whatever we do, whatever we do or whatever we don't do is making an impact, not only on the surface of that water with the ripples that we make, but on all the ripples that it encounters of people around us. And so there's this like constant dance and wiggling and design and these things. And, and I, I only bring this up to say to, to, to anybody who I I might think I don't have anything to contribute. I'm not, I'm not adding anything to this great design of ripples on top of the surface of the water. Yes, you are. You, e- e- either through action you can't help or it. Inaction. <laughs> you are <laughs> through through, through You're action part of it. or inaction. You are making a difference with with that. And um, I, I say these things in the name of magic mushrooms, maybe, or something, <laughs> or cannabis. <laughs> you know, it's. Amen I, to that. <laughs> I love I love the kind of visual thinking and meditating um, with this kind of stuff that, uh, that that comes from it. And
0: yeah, we didn't really talk much about the meaning of life though. Oh, uh, what, what do you think we've been talking about this whole time, Micah? Well, if I were to, you know, if we're wrapping this up, I, if I were to actually answer that question, like what is the meaning of life? I would say that there is no objective meaning to anybody's life. It's not like there is a meaning that we can all share. I just, because For the reasons that we've talked about, you know, because our experience and our reality is, is all, there's these screens of consciousness that we're experiencing everything with. And so um, there is, in my opinion, no objective meaning to life, but there is obviously an enormous amount of subjective meaning. And so the, the, I think what people get hung up on is finding the objective truth. Like the one single answer
1: that fits all. Yeah.
0: I think, the meaning of life is to find your meaning. Yeah. Whatever that is and yeah. to live it and to be it. And you know, this, you know, we don't know what, what happens once all the tissue's dead and the brain's dead. Um, my opinion is that it's just lights out and it's over. Um, in terms of you experiencing, in terms of me experience running the MICA program, that program is going to end and it's going to be over. And I don't know what happens to my consciousness after that. I don't really care. I'm banking on the fact that this is a limited thing that exists. <laughs> you banking on the fact that this is a limited thing, that, that your existence as Mike and that, that, and that is, as five that Existing that, 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 that there's a shelf life on this and that everything run is going to run its course. Yeah. And so I just want to embrace that. And my big mantra that I've had for like the past year is just to be the river, you know, just to because when you think of like I love the metaphor of a river because you know the river at any part of it you can't say this is the river or three miles up this is the river. The answer is yes, this is all the river and it just flows. The river, you know, it 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 meanders through the valleys, it cuts through the mountains, it dashes itself against the rocks and it doesn't care. It just goes. It just flows. And I think that is what we're all supposed to do. And, um, that sounds very like kind of new age Eckhart Tolle, but you know, I think there's a lot of truth and wisdom to all of that.
1: Oh, I could and, get way more new age Eckhart Tolle. I, I, that. I could go but, way, way deeper
0: than that. But, um, Anyway, I don't even know what I'm really trying to ultimately express other than that. I don't know what the meaning of life is. I just know what the meaning of my life is. Yeah. And it's whatever I want it to be. All right. I love it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Did you like it? Did you like this conversation? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I we- had more don't know. than 10
1: minutes like you thought.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that last part is what, you know, when I said that'll be a short conversation because what I just said in the past few minutes is really all I can really say to express that. But, um, yeah. I don't know. The, the convers- I, I enjoyed the conversation. I don't know what anybody other than you or me are, is, is going to think about it, but I hope it's beneficial. <laughs> no, <laughs> I hope it's I interesting. <laughs> the,
1: the, the, the feedback that I've been getting, especially from um, I, I, the, 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 the Patreon subscribers to infants on Thrones um, are, are getting more like uh, chatty <laughs> with each other, you know? it's so we're, we're like giving each other more feedback, which is really nice. Um, I am I'm hearing good things, you know, like, and, and I hope nobody feels like they're trying to be converted to a certain way, but it's, it's like you're giving me things to think about that I hadn't thought before. And I'm enjoying the process of struggling with these new ideas and trying to figure out what it means for me. And so for you to end, what you're saying is like the meaning of life is just for me to find out what meaning of life is for me. And I think I've got it. Hey, that's everybody's, you know, you find your way in the world. I mean, find something I know work. what it
0: means right now, yeah. you know, but then that's really yeah. all that matters. And like you said at the beginning of
1: this, you know, like what you're saying right now is, is a reflection of how you feel today and it could change.
0: Right. Exactly. Perfect. Because that's what the river does.
1: it's I mean, going through the
0: canyon. <laughs> I guess, I guess at the end of the day, you know, to kind of go back to what prompted all this, you know, what do people do when they've are just kind of in a wasteland of values and meaning and purpose in life? And, you know, I have definitely been there and yeah, yeah. I know what that's like. I I know the existential pain that someone goes through when they're extricating themselves from a fundamentalist religious perspective like that and community. Um, yeah, it's more the community even than the, yeah. Right. Like
1: that, yeah, the, the, those are just like the bells and whistles and trappings that, that this community is so like insanely white knuckle holding on to that. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I derailed you.
0: Oh no, you're fine. And the, all I can, all, all I know, all I can share is just what's worked for me Yeah. because I do feel like I'm on the other side of all that now, you know, many years later. And so as I look back on, especially the past three years of my life, um, I can attribute, you know, like I I used to weigh three hundred and forty five pounds. That's insane. And I yeah, used I to be like miserable and depressed and yeah. full of angst and cynicism, and the these transcendent mystical experiences were the portal that showed me how I could become well. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm there. When I say I'm on the other side. Of it, I mean, I'm on the other side of that—that that specific, you know, kind of existential pain that leaving the church had. Um, but you're close. You know, I still to have, I still have, have, have lost so hundred pounds, though, right? You, you're, yeah, you're, you're getting close to hundred pounds. Uh, yeah, no, I, lost. I, I've done. You it. look great. Thanks. <laughs> I feel like I like even before the faith crisis. Like, I don't. This is the best I've ever been ever. Right now, and I'm so incredibly grateful for it because I know what the opposite of that. Yeah. feels like and I never want to be in that place again. Right. I can attribute that to these transcendent experiences that I've had and what I've learned and the lessons and the th- things that I've been shown in those, in those weird psychedelic realms. <laughs> and for me, my tool to reach those mystical experiences has been plants. Yeah. but And, and, and I think, I think the church does a very good job of creating the sense of
1: community with very rigid boundaries this, this mem- this cultural membrane around Mormonism that, that when you've got curious individuals that are poking at that membrane and seeing, is there something on the other side of it? And you break out of it and you go, Oh yeah, there is. And actually maybe there's no boundaries. Um, You haven't really learned how to exist in a world without those boundaries, and so you've got to kind of create them for
0: yourselves, and that is a hard, scary, uncertain thing to do. I mean, just not having manuals anymore was scary, yeah. Seriously, there's no manual for this. What do I do? Or, Or,
1: or, or, or feeling like you can kneel down in prayer and get an answer to, oh, I know, you know, like. Well, what job should I take? What, what should I do with my life? You know, like all of these really important questions that you used to feel like, well, the Holy Ghost will tell me. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. All of the stuff was based on a lie. So maybe there is no Holy Ghost. Um, wait, I'm alone? Ah, it's like, it's like I'm alone. How room. do I do this? <laughs> Without realizing you've been doing it alone the whole time. You were just being told that, that it wasn't. And so you've been under this illusion of boundaries and the illusions of a membrane that <laughs> that now you've woken up to this reality as oh wait actually I'm responsible for my life I make these choices all by myself I can't uh, you know ascribe this to somebody else or pass the buck to to this person over here and yeah, yeah it's, if, scary. if all
0: you've done is paint by numbers your whole yeah. life the yeah. idea of an open canvas exactly can that be a great horrifying. analogy yes yeah and you know, And messy, but, but then and, and you're gonna you're, you're gonna you're the over you're, that, being, you're, you're gonna look like shit. That it's whatever it takes, you want it to be. It takes practice. Yeah,
1: muscle and, memory, developing and, new things. <laughs> and, and, and we've got it all figured out, don't we, Micah? We. I don't have shit. We've got though. it all figured out. Know. We're
0: we're great. Everybody needs to get to where we are, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think either one of us feels like that. So,
0: but. Yeah, I just, you know, and it really is a good analogy. I love going to art museums and, and you know, especially abstract art, which I had no idea to really understand yeah. until the past few years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just whatever you want that canvas to be. And if the canvas gets too messy and it's too dirty and it's just not what you want to be, just take some mushrooms and you just wipe the canvas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think the mushrooms kind of like create <laughs> a sign of their own. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, all right, man. Anyway, anyway
0: I'm jump really off with this little conversation.
1: Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and let's, let's get together for a beer again. That was nice. Absolutely.
0: Sounds wonderful. Cool.
1: All right, have a good day.
0: Thank you, man. Yep. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Matthew Ryan, Carol, Keith.
1: Ashley. And I like to play bingo online
0: while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com.
1: If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.